Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. California has specifically and in a discriminatory manner targeted six facilities and demanded documents and other materials from the Department of Homeland Security. California won't let law enforcement officers like you and your people to transfer prisoners to ICE custody or even to communicate with ICE that you're about to release them from your custody. People that ICE is looking for. Remember that California found these people dangerous enough to detain them in the first place but then insist on releasing them back into the community instead of allowing federal officers to remove them. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Snowy day here in New York City and on much of the eastern seaboard. There you had Jeff Sessions, who was just taking California's sanctuary city policies out to the woodshed today. He was fired up and blasting at some of the officials in California, elected officials, who are supportive of outright lawlessness. That's what's going on here. They think that federal immigration law does not count, should not count. And it's not enough for California to be intentionally unhelpful to federal law enforcement and to pass laws, the state of California passing laws that make it so that law enforcement has no choice but in some of these cases to do what they're because they're being threatened. Their jobs are being threatened. Right. This becomes state policy for uh, for various law enforcement officers who are not. Part of the federal government. But finally, Jeff Sessions saying he's had enough. They're suing. They're trying to stop this. They are taking it to the courts. Um, but we really need to understand just how bad this is when you have law enforcement agencies that are being told that they should be on the side of lawbreaking. That is a very dangerous place for this country to be. And that is the case in California. They can come up with all the different cute little slogans they want. They can talk about how they want to keep families together and everything else. The fact of the matter is you have elected officials who in that state, and there are other states too. I'm not just trying to beat up on California. That's just the front line of this fight right now. True in New York, where I am. It's true in Illinois, also known as the rest of what you have when you're outside of Chicago, right, in terms of the way Chicago politics dominates the rest of the state. Um, it's true to a whole bunch of major urban areas. But now we look at this and we say, hold on a second. Do, do we have to allow for this? Is there anything that can be done? Jeff Sessions is saying, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. The law will be enforced. Isn't it quite a thing that the Trump administration is making waves, that the Trump administration is considered controversial 
because the Attorney General of the Department of Justice of the United States of America is saying the law has meaning, the law will be enforced, the law is not a suggestion. California is putting up quite a fight, no surprise there. Uh, In fact, Governor Jerry Brown had this to say about it. These are like all laws. Uh, There's lots of terms. Uh, There can be more than one interpretation. But what uh, Americans have done traditionally, uh, an attorney general would talk to our attorney general. They would work things out. This is basically going to war against the state of California, uh, the engine of the American economy. It's not wise. It's not right. And it will not stand. Going to war against the state of California. That's what the governor said. Now, I understand he was looking for a bit of rhetorical flourish there, right? I, I know that he's not really saying what he said, or he's not trying to say what he said, but he understands it's inflammatory as well. And he knows that once you get to a place where state governments think that they are allowed to nullify federal law, uh, work to undermine federal statutes, and to direct law enforcement and private citizens to that end. You have a very big problem on your hands. And we just saw how bad this really is recently with, you'll notice, I've been, I've been hitting all these stories, staying on this, because I think this is critical. It's very important. I've been telling you the Sanctuary City showdown is coming for months, and now we're finally at phase one of it. Right? Now we're seeing what's really going on. We're going to force some of these mayors and some of these bureaucrats' hands in the courts and in the, uh, in the public eye. We're going to see what they're really all about. Um, Jeff Sessions had to remind the California state legislature and and the governor, for example, that federal law is, in fact, still the supreme law of the land. Elections have consequences. I think the American people spoke about this subject. Immigration law is the province of the federal government. It's in the Constitution. This administration and this Justice Department are determined to make it work effectively for all our people. I understand that we have a wide variety of political opinions out there on immigration, but the law is in the books, and its purposes are clear and just. There is no nullification. There is no secession. Federal law is the supreme law of the land. I would invite any doubters to go to Gettysburg or to the tombstones of John C. Calhoun and Abraham Lincoln. This matter has been settled. Jeff Sessions not messing around on this one. I would note that when Sessions first joined the administration, the area where many of us said he would be most effective or he has the deepest understanding and would be quite useful to Trump was on immigration. We are seeing that, I think, today. Sessions is... Rock solid on the issue, knows it backwards and forwards, and is going to take it to these leftists who believe that the law just doesn't apply to them. You know, it's even worse than that. The Obama administration, I think it was SB 1070 was the law in Arizona. The Obama administration, with Eric Holder as the attorney general, told local law enforcement that we will prevent you from trying to help immigration enforcement efforts. 
effectively the Obama administration's view of this, and it was upheld by the courts, was, sorry, we don't want your help and you're not allowed to try. You are you are specifically instructed and and forced to not be helpful in dealing with the illegal alien uh, illegal alien criminality that has become so widespread in this country for decades. You're not allowed to do anything. Now you have this. You have California, which is really in a class by itself on this specific in this specific area. California is saying, oh, as a as a function of state law. We we forbid law enforcement from cooperating with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. And we forbid private citizens and businesses from cooperating with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement in every way that we can. They have set up a minefield with the laws that were passed at the beginning of this year so that if you are a business owner and ICE, uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, asks you about the status of somebody in your business. And if you've checked more than once, for example, you can go to prison, California, for this now. And and I'm not making this up. Uh, Becerra, the attorney general, has said that they're going to prosecute. They will criminally prosecute people for violations of these statutes. I mean, you look down the line here and you see that California and this and this is not just one state. And it's not about even just this. Uh, just this issue of law enforcement. This is now the primary goal of the Democrat Party. That there would be a quasi open borders status for this country, that we would have a continued influx of people illegally into the country from impoverished parts of the world, from the third world who do not have the skills to compete in an increasingly information based economy are going to be a drain net on the uh, net net on the economy and are breaking the law as their first act in this country. By definition, the first thing they do on American soil is break the law. The Democrat Party is all in on this is the future. We want more of this. We want this to continue. We want amnesty. We want the whole thing. And it is very instructive, I think, to a lot of Americans, at least those who are willing to look at this with open eyes, that the most strenuously uh, argued issue right now in the Democrat Party is in favor of illegals, right? Dreamers and all that. This is what they are set on. This is a top agenda item for them. Not even for uh, Americans. Isn't it interesting that now we're made to feel like there's something wrong with us if we say, well, they're not even Americans. They say, oh, yes, they are. Really? I mean, am I am I Dutch? Because, you know, I like the Dutch a lot, but I don't have a Dutch passport and under Dutch law. I'm pretty sure I'm not Dutch. But can I just say that? Do I just get to declare it and make it true? You start to see a crossover with the way that the left. Views the spectrum of different gender identities, which I don't know how many there are now, 27 or 30 or something. You are what you say you are on that issue. And on on immigration and on citizenship, it seems that's also how they feel. You just get to determine your own reality, right? Anyone can just say, yeah, that's what I... As long as they vote Democrat. As long as this is powerful politics for the left wing of... Not just the left wing, the entirety of the Democrat Party, actually. Uh, Jerry Brown is fighting back in every way that he can, no surprise. Insulting Trump and his team. We should expect that. 
Look, we know the, the Trump administration is full of liars. They've pled guilty already to the special counsel. Uh, under the laws of California, nothing stops the federal government from coming to a jail. Uh, the, re the release records are, are public. Uh, there's nothing stops a sheriff who runs the jails to working with, with ICE. There's nothing in the law that prevents uh, ICE from working in our prisons and working uh, with our de Department of Corrections. What Jeff Sessions said is simply not true. What their laws do say are as follows. Law enforcement will not hold somebody at the request of Immigration and Customs Enforcement for deportation. By the way, that means that there's a reason for ICE to want to deport that person. Usually it's because they have a criminal record that is concerning from a safety, a public safety standpoint. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement officers also have to deal with these inspections from the state of California going into their facilities just to uh, harass them or something. I, all you have to do is change out FBI for Immigration and Customs Enforcement and people would be aghast at what's going on here. All you have to do is make it, oh, this isn't about illegal aliens, but this is about you know, narcotic smuggling or this is about human trafficking. And California is passing laws. Hey, look, we're not saying you can't. We're not saying the FBI can't lock up human traffickers, human smugglers. We're, we're just saying, you know, we're not going to help. And if anyone else tries to help and they make even a small good faith mistake, we're going to put the good Samaritan in prison. That is what California is saying. here. This is radical. It is wrong. And it shows the flagrant disrespect that the Democrat Party has for the rule of law this is why when they get all the Mueller probe and they want to talk about how it's so important you can't lie or oath the hatch act all all of a sudden everybody who hates Trump is an amateur lawyer meanwhile things like immigration law don't count whatsoever in the eyes of the mainstream Democrat Party and the media this isn't some fringe I'm talking about this is the, this is the biggest state in the country this would be the what, the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world if it were broken off from the United States? It, it really is an outrage, folks. I mean, I'm not overstating it. This is what's going on here and that they're going to push it to this level. Uh, just goes to show you what the political realities are, which is that now you, you cannot be an elected office in California in any large city or any large area, right? I'm not talking about, you know, the chief dog catcher of Carmel. Carmel's very beautiful, by the way. Um, but... You cannot have a major political role in the state of California unless you are in favor of violation of immigration law and think that the enforcement of immigration law is immoral and wrong. And that's what California is saying. It's immoral and wrong. Illegals get to stay, says the state of California. The only next step after this would be if you had law enforcement under orders to just refuse to hand over. And, and then we got a big problem. That's the only thing that's left now. That would, that would be the next step. They've done everything up to that. All right, we got more on this about Sessions and how this will play out in court and all kinds of stuff. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. If you're on California and you've got some uh, particular insight on this one, we'd love to hear from you, but anyone in the country, please light it up. We'll be right back. Hey. 
It's a great move. Uh, ultimately, uh, our federal officers have an obligation to defend our country from their enemies, both foreign and domestic. And MS-13 is both foreign and domestic. These are non-Americans operating gangs in our cities. And when federal immigration authorities ask for uh, law enforcement to cooperate in identifying and deporting these people, uh, they're being obstructed. That's exactly right from Daryl Issa there, member of Congress. They are being obstructed, and the laws now force that obstruction onto even private citizens. They are passing laws in California to make it as hard as possible and precarious as possible, meaning they, they put people in jeopardy who in good faith are trying to help Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Uh, the whole thing is a scandal. It's disgraceful, and... Yet it is mainstream Democrat Democrat Party policy now. That's where it all is. But also note that in that same interview, ISIS said something that really uh, we should all keep in mind. And that is, if we had the amnesty the Democrats want, nothing has changed with regard to the border. Nothing is, is better, really. I mean, maybe its numbers have gone down temporarily or whatever. But I mean, there's no true structural changes to illegal immigration and it's still happening, still occurring. You had a half a million visa overstays, I think it was two years ago. Half a million, folks. How many of the people that are overstaying their visas just forgot what day their return flight was? Very, very few. So don't think that the Democrats have just amnesty in mind. They have the continuation of this lawlessness as well. No matter what we did in Washington in the way of immigration reform, we could give amnesty to everybody. And the next day, you'd still have the same problem, which is you'd have foreign nationals committing crimes and under these laws being obstructed from the cooperation, particularly with law enforcement, to help identify and take these people out of our society. This is making my state less safe. And shame on my governor, shame on my attorney general. And by the way, represented by Eric Holder, the only attorney general held in contempt, shame on Eric Holder for advising them that these laws are constitutional. And ISA retiring, that's disappointing. Uh, I, I think ISA does a good job. Uh, he'll, he'll be kind of, he'll be a loss. He's, he gets it done sometimes. Very good on television as well. Good with the messaging. Um, 844-900-BUCK. A little more on immigration. Then we're going to move on to a breaking news story about, well, they're saying that Hope Hicks's email has been hacked. Uh, that's the report out. I'll dive into what that means, if anything, and uh, much more coming up. So. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. California, we have a problem. Well, the mayor of Oakland has actively uh, has been actively seeking to help illegal aliens avoid apprehension by ICE. Her actions support those who flout the law and boldly validates illegality. So here's my message to Mayor Schaff. How dare you? How dare you needlessly endanger the lives of our law enforcement officers to promote a radical open borders agenda? Attorney General just calling out Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff there. Remember, I told you about this. She was the one who said, oh, it was just it wasn't for my official government sources because there could be an official misconduct charge from that. If it was law enforcement sensitive information and she just fed it to the press, that could be a big legal no no for her. Uh, she says that she just got it from some other source. And how do we check? How do we know? 
but you wanted to make sure that all the illegals, you know, in Oakland knew uh, there's a raid coming. So this is the mayor of a good-sized U.S. city acting as a lookout for people who have broken the law. She might as well be the person standing on the corner, you know, when the cops are coming by to try to, you know, stop drug dealers on the corner or something, says, you know, hey, hey, the cops are coming. It's what she did. That's what this is. This isn't some reporter. This isn't just an activist, although she is an activist as well. It's the mayor of Oakland. Um, I, I wonder how much we could expect it to be any different for the mayor of Los Angeles or the mayor of San Francisco. I'm sure it would probably be quite the same. She's gotten a lot of praise from fellow leftists, fellow Democrats on this one. A lot of praise indeed. I also want to know, how would people feel? When you try to play this out, play out some scenarios, I think that can be instructive about what's true and what's not here. Let's say you are a, um, a law enforcement officer in, in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles County, your LAPD, and you have someone in custody who you're holding for uh, drunken disorderly or something, I don't, whatever it may be. And Immigrations and Customs Enforcement says, we really need you to hold on to that guy. Uh, he's a, a violent sex offender and we want to deport him. And you want to, but you know that your bosses have a policy. The mayor of Los Angeles has a policy that they will not hold on to that person so that federal law enforcement can take custody. Just won't do it. People say, oh, well, they're staying beyond their mandate. They're in violation of federal law. It's just a question of transferring them from one facility to another. And by the way, the whole, oh, you can't hold people beyond a certain time. People who say that, I have to, I have to kind of laugh. I'm like, uh, I've probably never been to a booking facility and I have no idea how long you'll just wait around. And the whole, like, I'm a citizen, I have rights. Yeah, and that's assuming you're a citizen. But, yeah, you might be hanging out in a holding cell for 12 or 16 or 24 hours. That happens. It happens in New York. I can tell you that much. So, oh, yeah, no, they, they can't hold for another day, another another 48 hours, 24 hours, whatever it is. Won't hold them at all. But imagine you're that law enforcement officer and you just you're you're following orders. You're under orders. They can't do anything about it. They got to let the, they got to let this guy go. And then he goes out there and you know, strangles some old lady. What, what, are, what are we to think about that? And it's not even that theoretical because there are very similar cases. Right. You think about the San Francisco policy. Uh, the guy who shot Kate Steinle is deported, I think, seven times, six or seven times. Gets back in the country, no problem. Deported, deported, deported. San Francisco doesn't doesn't want to you know, doesn't want to help out. Don't want to look like they're being mean to illegals. Now someone's dead because of it. Young woman lost her life because San Francisco thinks that it knows better. Because the government, by the way, I'm talking about these places. I'm not talking about the people who live in them. I'm talking about the bureaucracies and elected officials that are making these decisions in these places. I never mind the fact that actually a lot of people are telling me these days that. The city government in, in San Francisco and L.A. are just letting the places go to hell. I mean, they're just letting them fall apart in a lot of ways. Tremendous amounts of, of, uh, of trash and lawlessness and all kinds of problems. But that's a discussion maybe for another time. Um, but you have that scenario. I mean, you also have what if you were the parents or the uh, loved ones of somebody who lost their life because of you know an illegal who was in a car crash. And we've had someone call in here to talk about, I think it was in, it was one of the Carolinas, I think it was in North Carolina, 
where an illegal alien killed uh, killed someone and someone who never should have been in the country in the first place. You know, when law enforcement makes the decision, or I should say, when bureaucracies and bureaucrats make the decisions to tell law enforcement that they are not allowed to do what is going to keep communities safe, we have a very big problem. And then the idea that we would sit back and allow the state legislature of California in particular to make it to to make it as hard as as difficult as possible for immigration law to be enforced for illegal aliens to be detained and deported is uh, really distressing. I mean, I you got the governor saying it's a war on California and I have to ask, well, what is the governor's answer? What does Jerry Brown think should happen here? More legals. More, more than merry. Remember, these governments, they can always use more constituents who are dependent on them. They can always use more people who have a, an obligation, a debt to the government because laws were broken to keep them here. So it's a really easy way of buying off future voters. You say, oh, buck, illegals can't vote. Well, the families of illegals can vote. Right. People that are born here, the children can vote. Do you think any of them are going to grow up with a, well, an immigration rule of law is really the way? Nope. They understand that there will be a transgenerational training of illegal aliens telling future generations born in this country that the Democrat Party is the one that stuck up for them. The Democrat Party is for the, you know, where the good people are and all the rest of it. Don't even get me started on the fact that I don't believe that if you're the I don't believe in the whole anchor baby situation. I mean, I'm I make myself very unpopular when I talk to people in some places about immigration. Oh, you come here, you're an illegal. You come here on a on a they've broken up this immigration law. They'll actually enforce sometimes. Right. In California, they have these uh, birth tourism hotels and women show up predominantly from uh, from China, but not only. And they show up for a couple of weeks specifically knowing they're going to have a baby here because then it has U.S. citizenship. Then they go back to China and the kid is raised Chinese. But when the kid decides that he wants to or she wants to, you know, go to school in the States or be a citizen here and everything, you know, it's all taken care of. So the anchor baby thing's a scam, too. Natural born citizens. Born to natural born citizens. The way it's supposed to be but that's not the way we have it here so i know immigration radical and eventually we're all gonna have to just learn a whole bunch of different languages and see what happens in the country okay uh let's get we got a lot of calls here um so let's see we got hold on a second vincent in greensboro north carolina hey vincent Uh, hi buck um thanks for having me on I was just telling your call screener a few minutes ago that uh, I don't know who the person was that played that uh, did the soundbite about um, you know shame on Eric Holder, but uh, that was Daryl Issa. Daryl, okay, all right. Uh, well, that 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 uh, sounds about right. Um, I have to say that that this should come as no surprise to anybody because if you want the country to be overrun by people who do not care about the laws of this nation. Uh, those are the kind of people that uh, you need to 
literally overturn the law. And if enough people don't start realizing that we've got a frontal assault going on on the laws of this country and the structure of the country of itself, uh, more mayhem and uh, uh, cities falling apart is exactly what we're going to get. I hear you, Vincent. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. Let's take uh, David. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, Buck, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for your call. Well, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for what you do. Um, Like I said, I'm in Greensboro here, and I think a lot of people in this country could possibly be asking this question. Why have the feds not arrested these officials in California for this? Well, you have to have a specific statute that they're breaking. Obstruction of justice would be the only one that I could think of, but that's... It's they're they're playing around the edges here. Look, I'm not I'm not going to pretend that they're uh, being what's the word Um, putting themselves in obvious legal jeopardy with this. I'm saying that they are flouting the law. They are disrespecting the intent of the law and promoting lawlessness. But violating the law is something you'd have to get them on a specific statute. Right. So, So that would be different. Yeah. Would, so what would it be in this case? Right. You have to look at it. If the state legislature in California passes a law that says if you are a private business, if you're a business owner and you do any of these three things that affect illegal aliens in your employ, we're going to send you to prison. Yeah. You know, that's not illegal from the perspective. It's an abuse of state police power, which is what California is doing right now. California is abusing its police powers in order to benefit illegal aliens and think of the message that that's sending. Yes, yes. Also, I would like to make one comment about the economy of California. I think you mentioned it was the world's sixth biggest economy. Uh, yeah, uh, sixth or seventh, I, I think. Okay. I believe that once they secede, they won't be. They will be the smallest economy out there. All what right, my friend David, thank you. It's funny. I, I, I like how every time there's a Republican election or there's a Republican who wins a major election, you see these pieces, these think pieces about how California is thinking about seceding. And I always have to laugh. You mean California wants to make sure that the United States is a one party, a one party state for the foreseeable? Because without California, the Democrats would have no hope of winning a presidential election. So no hope, zero hope. Uh, William. Hey, William, what's up? Oh, hi, Buck. Hello. Yeah, Buck, can you hear me? Yes, sir, we can all hear you. What's on your mind? Okay, great. I heard some static. Uh, First of all, I just want to say I enjoy your show every day. Thank you very much, Uh, sir. I appreciate that. But this morning on the national radio news or whatever, I heard a thing about there was an American criminal running for the Mexican border, and they stopped him 20 yards before he got there. Um, I don't have all the details on why I was calling you, but I was wondering... Why aren't they on the ball that good when they're coming from Mexico into the United States, but they can stop an American criminal 20 yards from getting into Mexico? Well, it has to do, William, mostly with volume, right? You have a whole lot more people that don't want to cross into America legally than you have people in America that are trying to cross into Mexico legally, right? It has to do with where you you got your lookouts posted. I mean, people... I don't know a lot of Americans that are like, yeah, I'm going to go to Mexico and just violate their immigration laws. It's, it's pretty unusual. Yeah, so that's yeah. why it's easier to easier to catch some folks when they're going that they're going in that direction. But, uh, William, thank you very much for calling it. Thank you for your kind words. There are um, they don't get nearly as much attention, but there are uh, Border Patrol agents on the northern border 
eh? They're, they're folks, you know, crawling around uh, in the dark and looking for... It's mostly, though, about drug smuggling, much less about human smuggling. But on the Canadian border, you got people. Mounties. Eh. No, that's not actually... I don't think it's Mounties that do that work. Canadians are going to start yelling at me like, Buck, stop parading your ignorance about our wonderful law enforcement community up here. I, all I know about are Mounties. I know there's other stuff, too. Um, we got to roll into a break. I got to talk to you about this Hope Hicks uh, situation. And not not a not it's not gonna be a fun Hope Hicks conversation, you know, where I talk to you about how she was among my favorite administration officials. Former, I suppose, now administration officials. She got a problem though. They're saying that her emails were hacked. I think they're gonna build this into a much bigger thing than it is, although there's some guesswork involved in this. Also, we'll talk a bit about the economy and what we're seeing with tariffs. Looks like Trump's all in on this. I think a lot of people assume that he'd be they'd be able to back him down on this one. Uh-uh. I think uh, I think Trump's going going for it. So we'll see. We'll hit a quick break. We'll be right back. Looks like that gun control bill is actually going to pass in Florida, the Florida House. This just breaking while we are on air, I believe, uh, has sent the Stoneman Douglas gun and school bill to Governor uh, Governor Scott for his signature. So here is what this school bill does. It uh, let's see, I'm just pulling up the details here as we discuss. It restricts firearm purchases to those 21 and older. Requires. A three-day waiting period and background checks, and that these are already restrictions that are in place for handguns, this article notes. Um, it would also f- allow law enforcement to take the firearms of people who make violent threats against themselves or others with a legal process to get their guns back. And uh, $26 million dollars goes towards tearing down and replacing the building where the shooting occurred and building a memorial on the site. And the bill funds mental health, school safety, and school security programs at about $300 million. Wow. Plus another $67 million for a program that would allow some school employees to carry firearms. So a whole lot of things in here. Um, a lot of money, a lot of different uh, changes in the law. This is just for the state of Florida, but... You know what's going to happen after all this? There'll be another shooting somewhere else. And the same arguments will be deployed by both sides about what to do, what to do. But what will happen now is because stuff has been done, I think largely ineffective things, but things have been done in Florida, that will be part of the case for why there has to be more stuff done. So, okay, the 21-year-old age limit didn't do anything this time. Now it really is time to ban AR-15s. The three-day waiting period in Florida didn't do anything. Now it is time to ban semi-automatic rifles. You know, Now we do need an Australia-style mandatory buyback program, which is just a confiscation with a parting gift. That's all it is. So that's what will end up happening. But in the meantime, people feel like this is... And at least the people pushing this, they think they're doing a good thing. And we'll see if other states follow suit. I have a feeling they probably will. 
they've already made it about as uncomfortable and annoying as possible in New York to get a get a handgun. So I'm sure that they'll find some other way to limit the Second Amendment here and, and elsewhere. And you're going to just have a, a bifurcation in this country between blue states that don't believe in the Second Amendment and red states that do, even though there's that whole Constitution and federal supremacy and all that. But as we keep seeing, Democrats, the left, they don't really care much about that whole rule of law thing. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you with me. Thank you so much for joining. An honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Let's talk a little bit about the economy for a few minutes, shall we? Let's keep in mind this is the center of the Trump call for re-election. This will be... The one area I think that he is most judged on in his presidency, the only thing that I might put right up alongside it is on immigration. But those are two issues that, as we have discussed, are very, very closely linked. But the tariffs right now have become a major focus of all the news media, including the financial news media. They're very much up on this as well. And for one, I think it is over... Uh, well, it's overshadowing the fact that the economy is actually still doing quite well. Here, here is Wilbur Ross laying it down, Wilbur, earlier today. Here's what he had to say. Let me first reflect on the job report that just came out. Remember the prior administration, many economists were saying, oh, you can't have rapid growth. You can't have much more increase in employment. It's happening. These reports, five in a row, are very, very strong reports. I think you should judge the president and you should judge his decisions by what actually happens, not by speculation as to what might happen or some fantasy thing. This president is determined to make a strong economy continue, make job growth continue, and to do it in a very orderly and organized way. I think Ross makes an important, well, a few important points here. One is that Trump is going to be judged on the success or lack thereof of his policies when it comes to the economy. We will we will see and know what is going on. And thus far, things are going much better than we were told they would. I still remember on election night, you guys all remember that? It was fun. On election night, the... Uh, Dow futures were dropping and we were told, oh, my gosh, the economy. I can't believe it. You know, Trump's going to win. And still one of my great regrets that I did not. I just I was in something of a shock, not in a bad shock, but just in an oh, my gosh, shock. Like I had won the lottery or something. Uh, I didn't think to go over to the Javits Convention Center where they were. I could have I could have just walked over there, maybe, you know, 20 minute walk from my apartment. And I, I could have gone over there and seen what was described by many people as a it was supposed to be a celebration and instead it was a mausoleum. I mean, it was like a very depressing situation over at the Javits Convention Center for the Hillary Party. As you can imagine, the Victory Party was over there. There was no Victory Party. But the the stock market, they're saying, is going to tank. Trump is so reckless and his rhetoric and the economy. Yet we keep seeing uh, the conventional wisdom proven wrong. And now I'm I'm taking I know on this a slightly contrarian point of view, and I while I do appreciate it, I I am very familiar with Milton Friedman, 
I've had one or two people listening to the show actually send me Milton Friedman speeches with which I am already uh, acquainted, though I do appreciate it. I know everyone says, and anyone who knows anything about economics and trade, they all say that tariffs are a bad idea. I understand that. And if you're asking me to place a bet one way or the other, yeah, I'm going to go with everybody on this one. I'm not trying to say that they're wrong. I'm just saying, well, but I, I want to explore an additional layer here and, and maybe give this a little more, um, just air this out a bit. Because there's something to what's going on. On the economy, Trump has proven his detractors wrong for a solid year. The economy is good. Things are going well. Jobs, growth, all of that. Everything is good. We were told, oh, no, it would be terrible. On the tax cuts, now that's obviously a much more political debate. We know it is. Democrats want more money for the state, and they want more money to redistribute among people as they see fit. Republicans tend to believe that you should be able to keep more of your private property without the government ripping it out of your hands. Trump pointed that out, too, by the way. When I signed the tax cuts just before Christmas, it was like jet fuel for the American economy. Within hours, companies began announcing thousands of new jobs and thousands of dollars each in bonuses to their workers. Over four million workers have already received tax cut bonuses, and the number continues to grow every single day. So on tax cuts, a lot of experts who also were Democrats were saying that Trump was wrong. It wasn't a good idea. It was whatever. There are all kinds of arguments. His detractors were myriad and they were wrong. The tax cuts are going well for the economy. People have more money in their pockets. This is a good thing. All right. So we're seeing a pattern here with this president, with this presidency that He does things that we're told are guaranteed to fail or be bad, or he says things that are guaranteed to end his candidacy. He does things that are guaranteed to end his presidency. And yet, no. Right. So there's a a, a part of me now that feels like I'm, I'm hesitant to just go along with, well, because everyone thinks, therefore, on this one, what Trump is doing is wrong. By the way, he's not the only one that's, yeah, Cohn left, but okay, so the Goldman Sachs guy is out. By the way, now the media is all like, Cohn was the one voice of wisdom in the White House, right? When they when he first hired him, it's, oh my gosh, this is the populist revolution? Look at the Goldman Sachs guy. You know, they just, it's just like what they do with Comey and everybody else. It, it changes based on their, on their political whims. Uh, it has nothing to do really with an honest assessment of the person in question. But you had um, Mnuchin, who's... Look, he's not the most inspiring or charismatic of guys, but he's made a lot of money, you know, and finance Lego Batman, which I've heard is really good. Have not seen it, but I'm also one of the people. I'm one of the contrarians, speaking about contrarians, who thinks that the Christopher Nolan series on Batman is is good, not great, and, and is very much overrated based on what it was. Very much overrated. A lot of plot holes, a lot of nonsense, and, and just a lot of noise. Some very bad performances. The female leads in all of them are awful. It's like he picked my least favorite actresses from all imaginable choices. 
uh, Katie Holmes, Maggie Gyllenhaal, that other lady whose name I can't even remember, but who everybody who everybody hates. What a Hathaway. Yeah, Hathaway. She was at an Occupy Wall Street march. She's worth like fifty million dollars, but you know, power to the people, man. Anyway. Uh, I, I'm a contrarian on Christopher Nolan. Why the heck was I talking? Oh, because Lego Batman. I've heard it's good. And Mnuchin was behind that. Remember they got all mad at him because he made a joke about go see Lego Batman. He was the producer. This is the Hatch Act. He violated the Hatch Act. Well, he thinks that tariffs are part of a strategy as well. The president, again, going back to the campaign, has been very clear. NAFTA's an old deal. He wants to renegotiate that deal. We're in the midst of renegotiating it. Ambassador Lighthizer just got back from Mexico as part of those negotiations. And th- these are all part of our overall economic strategy. You notice Mnuchin said something there that I said to you, too, which is NAFTA is old. NAFTA does need to be reviewed. This reminds me of something else where Trump was all the conventional wisdom. Everyone's so freaked out on NATO. Should NATO countries be paying what they state they are? They should pay. It's not a technically a legally binding contract, but should they be paying uh, the percentage of, of GDP they say they will? Is that such a terrible thing to try to force them to honor their commitments? It was like, oh, my gosh, NATO is the cornerstone of our security. Don't touch it. It's so scary. Well, NATO is still NATO, but he's looking at it a little bit. You know, he's kicking the tires, shaking things up. I feel like sometimes we all, maybe you don't, you're like, Buck, I don't. But some of us here, maybe some of us in pundit land, forget that this is supposed to be a disruptive presidency. There's going to be some bumps and bruises. It's not all going to be perfect. And I think he's going to be wrong on some stuff, for sure. Maybe tariffs is a place where he is wrong. As I've already said to you, I think he probably is. But I'm just not as quick to shut the whole thing down and say that there's no way, no how, that this could be a good thing. That this couldn't work in our favor in some capacity. Uh, it is true that, that NAFTA needs to be renegotiated. And maybe now by the, the promise or the uh, threat, better way to put it, of tariffs means that Canada and Mexico will come to the table with a little more a little more of a let's make a deal attitude, a little less of like the deal's already done. Don't waste my time attitude, right? That could be one thing. I think a lot of people also have just learned, and I put myself in that category, just had to learn a lot in the last week or so about tariffs. And I mean, how many people listening to this even know? How many people that are running around? Oh, have you ever, do you even Milton Friedman, bro? It's like, have you ever read Milton Friedman? Yeah, of course. I'm familiar. I get it. We could talk Keynes. We could talk Friedman. We, we could go, we could go in all kinds of Austrian economic school. We could do all that. I get it. I understand. Buck, have you read Bastiat the Law? Yes, I have a copy of it on my bookshelf, and I have it on my Kindle, right? I don't need to run in these circles. It's just I like to think through it a little more than, well, because everyone says so. Well, everyone except for the most powerful man in the world right now, so we should at least flesh this thing out a little bit, right? I feel like a lot of people don't even know that. The way the government used to pay for itself in this country until uh, mid. Oh, no, I don't want to give you the year. I don't give you the year because what I'm saying is true and important. But the government used to run off of tariffs. Our government had tariffs. And, and there's a long history of uh, tariffs in this country. And people point to uh, what Smoot-Hawley and the, the 20th century, early 20th century. They said that was disastrous. But 
It's not like tariffs are some idea that came out of nowhere that Trump, you know, just conjured out of thin air. So that's, I think, worth knowing. Also, the whole notion of a trade deficit. And I've seen the very clever, you know, you have a trade deficit with the grocery store, right? That's true. Right? You're getting stuff and you're giving them money. But, you you know, you're not, I don't know, maybe some of you, actually some of the audience is probably bringing like artisan honey and fruit from their farm to the grocery store. But other than you folks, you're probably running a trade deficit with, with your main grocery store. I think that's a fair statement. So I understand the ways that we're being, this is all being explained to us. But the whole notion of trade deficit is, uh, in this country with China is a relatively new phenomenon. hasn't been around all that long. So if nothing else, this forces us to look at the history of tariffs and have a better understanding of it. I also think the point I made about transshipment of steel uh, was something that was worthwhile, meaning that we were told that only a very, very small percentage of steel comes from China into the United States. But in reality, a lot of the steel that comes to the United States is through third-party countries that sell it to us, but it's really Chinese steel. So that's something else that we know. So there, there's a learning process here for uh, many of us. And, and like I've been saying, I just like to, I don't like to take, and I, I try to apply this to everything, and maybe this is the Jesuit training in me, right? Well, you know, How do you know the earth isn't flat? I know it's not flat, but how do you know it's not? You should be able to explain these things, right? You know the sky's blue. Why is the sky blue? Just because you know something, it doesn't mean it's not worthwhile to understand why it is so. And I think on tariffs, we are currently in in a place where everyone is pretty much saying there is a consensus um, that tariffs will be bad for the economy. But how bad? And what would be the trade-off? We should know these things. It shouldn't just be, well, it's bad because we say so. And that's so this is just the way that I try to approach all things related to Trump right now, because remember, this is the president who on on Election Day had a 97 percent chance of losing, according to The New York Times. This is the president who we were told would tank the stock market by all the experts. This is the president who we were told, uh, you know, I mean, you just go down the list of everything all along how many times during the campaign? Oh, he's done now. Oh, he doesn't have the ground game. Oh, he... North Korea. I brought North Korea up on the show earlier in the week. Some people, like me, have been saying for a while, you know what? It, when you're dealing with a crazy regime, sometimes maybe you got to bare your teeth and show that you're willing to be a little crazy, too. People say, oh, Buck, that's nuts. We're just going to end up in a nuclear war with North Korea. Not necessarily. In fact, it might show the regime that there's a new sheriff in town. And if you think you're just going to intimidate us and threaten us, you've got another thing coming. And that also might embolden some of the more moderate voices around Kim Jong-un, moderate being a very relative term here, but to say, OK, maybe we do need to negotiate with things because we don't want America to feel like they're so cornered. There's a first strike is their is their best option. And this president might actually do it. And people remember, this is the negotiator. We have a president who's always been saying that he's a great negotiator. We are seeing whether that is true or not right now with his administration. He will be judged by the decisions he makes. He will be judged by the outcomes here. Looks like tomorrow he may sign some of these tariffs. There'll be carve outs for different countries, most likely. And the world will not end. The stock market may not like it for a few days, and he could always go back. But I would just note that 
China sure as heck has a whole bunch of trade uh, tariffs, <laughs> trade tariffs in place that affect us, and they're not worried about it. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, that, th- those are my thoughts on that one. Um, but like I said, I, I understand I'm familiar with all of the reasons why everyone says don't do it, free trade's a bad idea. And in fact, I even take it to the next level. Of if, it were, if it weren't for trade imbalance, if it weren't for uh, the trade deficit that we've run with China and other places, we, we wouldn't be able to finance our debt and do the things, do some of the financial engineering that our government has been doing to just keep this whole circus going. That's a discussion we'll have to get into another time. All right, we'll be right back. But what I think is most important and what I see all across the country, and we've had a lot of contested primaries across the country, and and what we saw in Virginia after the primary there last year is people came together. They understood that Donald Trump is the most dangerous president in American history. People in Texas understand that uh, Ted Cruz is not fighting for their values, and, and we need a Democratic Congress so that we can grow this economy. So so someone needs to explain to me how... First of all, let's just put aside that the DNC chair is calling Trump the most dangerous president ever. How is it that they're talking about a blue wave in Texas? And there was a lot, a lot of talk about this, a blue wave in Texas. When you look and you see that in the uh, in the primary here, right, um, you had votes cast for Republicans and votes cast, cast for Democrats. And there were a whole lot more a whole lot more that went for Republicans and Democrats. How is that uh, a blue wave? Somebody, you need, you need to tell me how that's the case. I just feel like they they feel like if they create the perception here, um, then they will, then the reality will follow, I suppose. Um, but the truth is that the Republican Party did very well in this in terms of voter turnout, and there's no reason to believe that that is going to change anytime soon. So there's nothing about this, as I look at this, that makes me think that there's going to be a blue wave, and yet they will report on this. You could almost say that the, the notions of a blue wave are, if not fake news, close to fake news. They are quasi-fake. There's no blue wave. What was it there, like a half a million Democrat votes and over a million Republican votes cast or something? I'm trying to find the numbers right now. That was one of the reasons I was... I had it right in front of me, and then, darn it, I lost it. But a lot more Republicans. All you really need to know, Republicans, here we go, I found it. Republicans got 1.5 million votes together down in Texas. And Democrats, I think, were at uh, less than a million. So it was not close. But they're still talking about a blue wave. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut team. Great to have you here. We have our own Emily Campagno visiting here in studio in the hut in New York City. She is a legal analyst. She's an attorney. You can check out more of her work at emilycampagno.com, or you can follow her on Twitter. Emily, thanks so much for, for being here, even though I'm sorry the weather is not the best that it could be. That's no problem at all. So I don't blame you for the weather. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about this uh, 20-year-old who 
has sued Walmart and Dick's Sporting Goods over the age restrictions. This is out in Oregon, right? Or he's an, he's an Oregon-based uh, 20-year-old. What are the ins and outs here? Does he have a case? He He really does not have a case here. And this is what I want listeners to understand. That at its heart, this case is not about the Second Amendment. It is not about one's constitutional right to bear arms. He is not suing the government, alleging this constitutional right was infringed. And the issue here is that he is suing these two private companies, like you said, for raising the minimum age for him to purchase firearms. And the federal law, you can buy it at 18, and Oregon state law, you can buy it at 18. So these private companies raised the age, and he is alleging age discrimination. Now, federally, you are protected from against age discrimination when you reach 40. And in the state of Oregon, the state laws protect under 40 only in the realm of employment law. So if Dick Sporting Goods had failed to hire him, then he would have a case. But taking a step back as well, courts have ruled and really with no variation, that if an issue arises where public safety is a concern, that that always trumps a trodden right. Note too, think about it this way, it's it's not a right to be able to purchase something from a retailer, right? That's a privilege. Or you could say that's just a, a kind of um, implied contract between you and a private retailer. So the damage here is their loss of funds. Because this man certainly has the right to purchase a gun elsewhere. So they are not taking from him all choice. They are choosing actually to diminish their pool of purchasers. So the point here is that the reason he doesn't have a case is because, A, it's not age discrimination because it's not protected under federal law and state law doesn't apply in this course. And B, states also have the right to make laws more restrictive than the federal government. So if Oregon or this private company had tried to lower the purchase age, that would be unconstitutional. But because they raised it, making it more restrictive, that is okay. So this probably is not going to go very far. um, And we can assume that this will. uh, At what stage is this? Has a judge even decided to. Where so he's filed the lawsuit. That's all that's happened so far. Correct. We don't. We haven't even seen the reply from Dix or Walmart. And you know, uh, earlier in, in Twitter, we were talking about this. Um, and it it seems a knee jerk reaction for people to really side with him immediately and say this is discrimination. And and I'm I just really want to to have as we engage in this conversation, listeners understand that again, it's not about his access to a gun. It's about him. It's about a restrictive policy that a private company is making under guise of public safety and their particular rules. Tell me about what's going on with, speaking of uh, guns, Operation Fast and Furious. The Department of Justice is going to be giving an oversight panel more of these documents. What are we going to find out here? This is really important because... For six years now, there was essentially an impasse between the Obama era DOJ and the and Congress, right? And basically, Congress, after it came to light that the Fast and Furious program, which was the Obama era, um, basically they were tracking guns, so criminals could purchase guns in Phoenix, and then the DOJ would be tracking them as they were illegally brought over the border into Mexico. It came to light when 
this audience is very familiar, generally speaking, with Fast and Furious, by the way. Oh, Obviously, sorry, sorry. Is, okay. No, it's okay. Uh, no, no. I mean, it's good to give us the backstory. I'm just saying this is this was a big issue. I mean, this was something that everybody remembers very well. Eric Holder held in contempt. I mean, this is and people have been saying all along that there was foul play going on behind the scenes at DOJ that we weren't able to find out about because the people in charge of the documents were the people that would have been involved in the foul play. Totally. So what happened after that? What happened after the lid was blown off and everyone was outraged? Just what you said, where the DOJ refused to comply with the subpoenas from the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. And Jason Chaffetz actually, I think, made a really great point today or yesterday, which was that why is it that other subpoenas, you know, kind of enact the fear of God in people? And for some reason, subpoenas by Congress, it just fell on deaf ears for six years. So to me, the breakthrough here is that finally we will see what's in those documents the truth will come to light, but also that it seems that finally we're having an attorney general who is committed to, as he said today, transparency, that there isn't this kind of chasm between the two, the executive and the um, judicial branch. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that I think is really crucial. And remember, the brother of the slain border agent um, this weekend kind of re-brought it up with President Trump and said, you know, you promised me something on the campaign trail and this is still important to me. It's still important to everyone. And so stay tuned for what's in those large, incredible volume of documents. And it's my hope that it's not just covered on our end, that really the mainstream media picks it up to. Uh, I want to play, uh, Emily, for you a clip from Jeff Sessions. He's just saying that ICE agents will not be deterred in their enforcement of the law. But ICE agents do incredible work every day. They're not backing down. They're not going to be deterred. And we're not going to stop enforcing the law in in Alabama or California either, for that matter. We're simply asking the state and other sanctuary jurisdictions to stop actively obstructing federal law enforcement. Jeff Sessions really laid it down today. He is going after California, specifically on the sanctuary policy but there's going to be some interesting legal wrangling back and forth on what the state's obligations are to the federal government when it comes to immigration law. What do you think about the the fight over sanctuary cities that the administration is just in the early stages of waging right now? At its heart, it's a federalism issue, and the federal government 100 percent has jurisdiction over immigration law and enforcement. It continues to fundamentally disturb me why members of the far left and many mayors, as we have seen in California, where I'm from, from, have continued to kind of distort the issue and make it seem as if law-abiding families are being ripped apart in the middle of the night. And it's not that is not what the intent was of these last two raids. And it's not being publicized that the targets of such had criminal records beyond the crime, quote unquote, of being here illegally. And it's a failure and a a failure of marketing and a twist on their part. So it, I just feel like um, legally, to answer your question, the federal government will prevail. And in terms of the national conversation, it continues to be totally it just it's it continues to be confusing and totally aside from the main issue when people make it about, quote, immigration and, quote, 
protecting who is in our city limits, let's say, as we heard, you know, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff say and Berkeley Mayor um, Jesse Argwin, like that's not that's a totally separate issue. And I also find and feel that the far left has really manipulated the argument for when it suits them. So at some points they cite to the fact that the Fed can trump state laws when it suits them and in others, you know, and even also in terms of the um, the relationship between. So I do feel the messaging we're getting is where are you when we need you? But then also casting aside, I don't knew, I don't need you. I can do my own thing. That's fundamentally flawed in terms of how our democracy is set up. And now because we're doing kind of an around the world of all things legal, Emily, and we're speaking to Emily Campagno, you can uh, read more of her work at emilycampagno.com. Also follow her on Twitter. She is a legal analyst, also pops up on Fox with regularity now. Um, Emily, I want to ask you about the uh, DOJ and the allegations of favoritism and when it comes to Hillary Clinton and the email probe. This is Congressman uh, Matt Goetz, who was talking about this earlier today. There's so much evidence that indicates that throughout this process, there were people at the senior levels of the Department of Justice and FBI who steered Hillary Clinton away from trouble and then mm-hmm. manifested their bias to work against President Trump both before and after his election. Now, he's right, from my reckoning. I think that when you look at the, particularly the, the issue of emails, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty straightforward statute. She was in violation of the statute, and they just created a get-out-of-jail-free card for her with the whole, it was uh, very careless, but not, or extremely careless, but not reckless, which those are just synonyms. Um, looking at this now, though, I, I'm always reminded by friends of mine who were on the prosecutorial side that, Discretion is a very wide thing for them. And if DOJ chose to give Hillary uh, discretion or chose to use its discretion not to pursue charges against Hillary Clinton for emails or uh, any number of things, there's not a whole lot that can be done to check that other than could they still bring charges now? If they're within the statute, couldn't this DOJ bring new charges if they chose to do so? Yes, absolutely. They could. And I agree with you. I also um, I think what was most disturbing is that Legally speaking, the statute prohibiting her behavior or anyone's behavior in dealing with classified information accounted for intent. And I hope I'm not beating a dead horse for our listeners if they've heard this either from me or on the show before. But the point is, is that the statute prohibiting this behavior was a spectrum. And at the at the lower minimus end, it accounted for that kind of negligence, carelessness, recklessness that you speak of. And the point of it is to hold the subject totally accountable regardless of intent. And then if there was some type of crazy malicious intent, then the penalty and the charges would be commensurate with that and it would reflect it. So that's disturbing thing number one. That prosecutorial discretion, you're absolutely right, holds. But I think what's so disturbing is it doesn't bode well with our conscience when we see favoritism played out and when we so that inconsistency and also when something of that magnitude isn't then employed for that, right? Prosecutorial discretion is supposed to be when the investment um, is, is you know, it's not worth the outcome, that right. justice it's not is to be better based on served. Politics. It's not supposed to be based on whether you like the person or not, but yet I think Certainly that's what we not. saw with Hillary. Emily Campagno, everybody. You can follow her on Twitter, at Emily Campagno. And uh, thank you so much for coming to visit us. Great to have you, especially. It's nice when we get visitors in the Freedom Hunt. We get Emily, Jesse Kelly, um, Jason Delgado. I'm trying to think of like who. Who? Oh, yeah. Sean Parnell, of course. So it's basically a lot of snipers and Emily.
<laughs> that's been, that's, we've had a whole lot Sounds of like a party. Uh, uh, Marine and Navy SEAL snipers and Emily Campagno. So, you know, we love it when we get visitors to Vib. The problem is when people know they can call in, they tend to be like, oh, I'm going to call it. But she was in the neighborhood anyway. So we got her to come by. By the way, next hour, I'm going to tell you about a news story that you probably haven't heard anywhere else today. I'm willing to bet very unlikely that you did has to do with what would have been a thwarted ISIS inspired terrorist attack on a school. And no one's reporting on it. So I'll tell you about that at the top of the next hour. Uh, and then also, after we've given you all of this legal analysis to mull over, coming up here in a few minutes, we are going to introduce you to a friend of the show, one that some of you would know from the past, but now many more of you are going to get acquainted with, a friend who is a special Russia correspondent and Kremlin analyst named Comrade Kami Bear. So get ready for all that, and we will be right back. Team Buck, you've been asking the question for a while. Those of you who are original Saturday squad, well, you know exactly what we're talking about here. But for those who are new to our family of uh, of patriots uh, in the Freedom Hut, Commie Bear. Who is Commie Bear? Why do we sell Commie Bear t-shirts on the website? Well, the truth is nobody really knows. There are rumors that he was part of a failed top-secret Soviet program to turn stuffed animals into tools for espionage. There are actually stories that Commie Bear, or Sea Bear for short, emerged from a cryogenic chamber in 2012. He still thought that the year was 1960, Khrushchev was in charge, and Elvis Presley was part of some crazy imperialist plot to bring down the Kremlin. What we do know now is that Commie Bear hit the media stage about five years ago with his eye patch, his tiny vodka bottles, and his miniature but fully functional AK-47. He claims to be in his 50s, but says he has the fortitude and vigorousness of a 22-year-old. How could he be in his 50s if he was alive in the 60s? Commie Bear says math is a Western construct and shut your face. His birthday is May Day, May 1st, obviously. He loves the Communist Party, but he also loves to party. He is friends with global celebrities, close buddies, personal buddies with Vladimir Putin, and has a particular fondness for Taylor Swift. And Beyonce. And now Commie Bear, by popular demand, is back to be our special Freedom Hut Russia correspondent for 2018. Prepare for a special Kremlin announcement from Comrade Commie Bear. Greetings, imperialist hyenas. Has been a while, crocodile. After a long absence, the Marxist mammal, the cuddly communist, the one, the only, the commie bear, is back. No more need for commie bear hide in Vladivostok Arctic bunker full of a Swedish swimsuit model and Cuban cigar. Now that you have special counsel Mueller running around looking for any action, like a Russian sailor on shore leave with two rubles in his pocket, your Department of Justice would make Pravda proud. Mueller, I see, finally brought criminal charge for online trolling of election in 2016. Ha! <laughs> Come on, Mueller, bro, for real? You think Hillary lost election because Seabear and some of his KGB home slice post memes of Hillary wearing orange jumpsuit on old lady Facebook page? Dude, come on. Locker up chant wasn't information warfare, it was helpful suggestion. 
Hillary Clinton would bribe herself just to stay in practice. But yet, there is casualty of Russian meddling craziness that is too painful price. Hope Hicks is now out of that filthy den of jackals you called the White House. This is the most sad thing since Rocky beat Ivan Drago. Hope was one of Seabear's favorite Amerikanski. Is like Taylor Swift and making her international ambassador of hotness. Seabear would like to invite Hope for caviar, vodka, and private nuclear-powered submarine tour. Because nobody knows how to party like the Communist Party. Those Vidanya Yankee capitalist swine. Welcome to the revolution. Comrade Kami Bear is now finished with you. Kami Bear is wild, man. He's throwing bottles around in the Freedom Hut. He's getting crazy in here. But now you know, and you can always get your Kami Bear t-shirt at BuckSexton.com. We are going to come into the third hour here in just a few minutes, so stay right there. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. I am going to tell you about a story now that if the media were really concerned with what they say they're concerned with lately, which is school safety, you'd think it would be a much bigger story. You'd think it would be a national-level news story that would be leading some of the major broadcasts tonight and would be forcing questions about what do we do to stop this? It's about protecting the children. It's about making schools safe. So what do we do to make sure that next time this doesn't turn into a mass casualty event? I'm talking about a teenager who at a southern Utah high school uh, allegedly brought a homemade bomb, brought an IED into the school with the intent of trying to kill as many of his fellow classmates as possible. Uh, the boy was arrested Monday night after the, uh, the high school in the city of St. George, Utah, was evacuated for a couple of hours. The FBI and a bomb squad investigated. And we don't have a lot of additional information beyond that on this on the suspect here because he's a, a minor. But I just think it's interesting um, that you haven't heard about this. Given all the stuff, you guys haven't heard about it either, have you? Nope, nope, the team in here doesn't even know. No, no coverage of this at all. Why is there no coverage of this? This is going to be an interesting discussion, my friends, because it's a deviation from if we want to, if we want to make schools safe, ban guns. That's the message that everybody on the left is running with and has for weeks, ban guns. No, no, not about training teachers, not about... Uh, hardening facilities, doors that lock more effectively or at once, electronically, all that stuff. No, no, no. Not even about mental health. No, they want they want a gun ban. This is a way to get what they desire on the Second Amendment. And that's why a kid trying to blow up his own high school does not get attention. Because what's the what is the takeaway for the media on that one? You got to ban Household materials that somebody could use, and I'm actually familiar with how to do this from my previous life. It's not hard to build a bomb. A lot of people mess it up, but it's actually not hard to do. And what would you do to stop that? Now, there are some programs in place where if someone is suspicious, if some guy, you know, walks in and says, hey, I'd like to buy a lot of fertilizer. And like, oh, you need it for your farm? Like, no, I need it for the pickup truck that I've or the, the you know, dump truck that I've rented. I'm going to be parking outside of a of a building with government stuff going on in it, like then you know 
you got a problem, don't sell it to the guy, call the police. Um, but those programs are obviously not, to call them, it's not that they're not foolproof. I mean, you're, you're lucky if that stops somebody from doing something. So here I am telling you about a new story, and a lot of you are probably hearing about this many hours after the, the, the evening news broadcasts. And if you're listening on the podcast, you might even be listening tomorrow morning. How could people not know about this, not care about this? Oh, there's another part of it. There's another part of it that, that maybe doesn't really get mu- much of the media very excited um, because it is believed that this student was a supporter of the Islamic State. He wasn't a white supremacist. He wasn't a, an alt-right member. He was None of the stuff that, if this... If we change some of the details here, CNN would be running with this wall-to-wall. No. He is believed to be an ISIS supporter. And, in fact, this is a quote from an article at NBC News. Authorities said additional charges are pending against the teen as a suspect in the raising of the Islamic State's flag on a pole at another Utah high school last month, just after the Florida mass school shooting that was followed by numerous other threats to schools around the U.S. So the backpack, by the way, was found in a common area by a student who reported it, the backpack bomb. Um, But it was a failed attempt to detonate this whole uh, homemade explosive, they're saying. Um, And this guy had been researching and expressing interest in ISIS and promoting the organization online. Guess what that's called, folks? Self-radicalization. You got a teenager in Utah who self-radicalizes on the web about the Islamic State and brings a bomb into school, an IED. I'm guessing, and this is just based on a hunch, so this is not reporting. This is just what I think. I'm willing to bet that he did research in some of the ISIS publications about how to build a bomb. I'm wondering if maybe he got his hands on a pressure cooker or used some of the other well-known mechanisms for creating a homemade explosive device that have resulted in casualties on U.S. soil in the past. But how could this not be a bigger story? You really need to ask yourself this. Why is it that that Buck Sexton, because he does all of his own research and is reading all day long, so that's why, but is the only one who is bringing this to your attention? And sure enough, it's because it does not fit the agenda. I also am both amused and always annoyed by the line of, the left and a lot of the stuff, they'll say, oh, well, you found this on a on a site like NBC News, so clearly it's not being reported anywhere. There's something that gets reported, and then there's something that is part of the narrative. A lot of things are reported every day all across the country. How many things does the do the American public actually pay attention to at any given time? How many news stories that happened yesterday can any of us even remember off the tops of our heads? Trust me, if they wanted to make... ISIS radicalized student in Utah uh, who brings bomb into school, a big story, it would not be hard to do. But you see once again that this is where their biases, their political proclivities, all that stuff comes into play. And it's, it's for them a double whammy. On the one hand, they can't make this about guns, and it also then gives real credibility to those of us who have been saying, because we're right, Guns not the only way you can do a lot of harm to people. Vehicles let you do, vehicles would let you kill a lot of people, you know, at a school or elsewhere. Bombs are not hard to construct. Uh, I even mentioned that uh, the biggest 
school attack of all time was was explosive based. That was a long time ago, but it was the biggest in terms of of dead and casualties. Um, but I was I was amazed today that this just didn't. No, nobody really seemed to think you know this is something we should talk about. Um, there's just such a a focus on continuing to make this about guns and gun control and raising the uh, raising the age limit. What are you going to raise the age limit on whether somebody can buy, you know, peroxide in certain concentrations? I mean, what are you going to do? Try to prevent somebody from having access to flammables and incendiaries? And then there's also just here we have an attack that would have been based on the ideology of the Islamic State. I don't know if this individual, this teenager, um, is somebody who would even consider himself to be a Muslim. We don't know. There is the possibility that this is someone who was just a, a malcontent and views ISIS as uh, an, an expression of his hatred against the world and all humanity. I mean, I don't know. Um, this is something that you actually used to see sometimes, for those of you who have spent a lot of time in the third world, you would occasionally see uh, radicals in different countries that had nothing to do with Osama bin Laden or whatever. You'd see them with like a bin Laden T-shirt on or you'd see them with you know, just the insignia of jihadism, and there weren't even Muslims, but they just view it as a, an alternative to the dominant Western American-led paradigm and view it as some kind of... Rel- it's like the Che Guevara t-shirt thing. You know, for some people who are really ignorant and dumb, ISIS is... You wear an ISIS t-shirt or flag, kind of the way that people wear a Che Guevara flag, which is, yeah, standing up to the man. I guess not understanding that the Islamic State is a... Uh, fascistic, uh, murderous death cult. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad I told you about it. I'm glad you come listen to this show so you don't have these stories that just fall off the radar or don't get any attention. We'll be back with more. Stay with me. So in the world of social media and uh, online commentary, there are things that we refer to as hot takes. It's often when somebody just spur of the moment, whatever strikes them, whatever comes to mind, they will... Just go with. And that can sometimes lead to brilliance. More often than not, it leads to somebody uh, putting a putting a damper on their own day and maybe even ending their own career. But it, but you do get people that will just throw it. They'll just put it out there sometimes, man. I mean, they will share some thoughts online and they'll get a whole thing going uh, one way or the other. I'm not saying good. I'm just saying they'll get it going. People will get talking about it. And there is a writer. I mean, he's from Blue Check Twitter. So he's a he's a real person named David uh, Cleon or might be Cleon, but I'm assuming Cleon. And he made made the case today. This this went I'm not sure viral, but it went pretty close viral that it is immoral to drive. I don't mean it's immoral to drive drunk. It's not immoral to drive badly. This dude from Brooklyn is straight up saying that the act of driving a vehicle is immoral. And I will walk you through his argument. There's a reason I'm doing this, by the way, other than for the sheer amusement factor of this, that somebody with uh, tens of thousands of followers and is uh, a a journalist of some kind would decide that this is the direction he wants to go in. But then again, I'm talking about it on radio, so I guess it works. Here's where Mr. Cleon writes. It is basically immoral to drive. You're going to tell me that many people don't have a choice and or that I sometimes drive and you're right. So it is immoral not to be politically committed to a world where no one drives. 
driving is bad. It should be abolished. And he goes, oh, I mean, just just stay with me through this. This will all it's not that it's going to make sense in a minute, but you'll understand why I'm talking about it in a minute. Beyond the sheer amusement. Drinking and driving is bad. Texting and driving is bad. You'll say maintaining that drinking and texting are the problems, but really driving is the problem. We've built our cities so people can only get around by polluting the atmosphere and endangering themselves. Uh, who who should have the right to get around in a giant hunk of metal traveling at speeds that will instantly kill a pedestrian such that tens of thousands die every year and no one notices or cares? No one. No one deserves that right. This guy's straight up going for it, folks. He's saying that we need to ban cars. You know how the argument often about guns and about anything we're going we're gonna to prohibit will say, well, if you look at how many vehicle fatalities there are in a given year and it's usually around 30,000 or so. I think it's been it's been dropping in recent decades. But everyone sort of agrees. Yeah, OK, you're right. We can't ban cars. And another point is that they'll say, well, you know, look at speed limits. And they'll say we could save probably thousands of lives if the speed limit was 20 miles an hour. It's really actually hard to either die in a car crash or to kill a full grown adult if you're going 15 miles an hour. You'll, I mean, you'll hurt somebody. You might hurt yourself. But it is very difficult, or I shouldn't say difficult. It's very unlikely. Uh, difficult makes it sound like people are trying to do this. Do you remember the Simpsons where Mr. Burns was trying to run the kids over, and he had instead of a hood ornament, he had a he had like a like the target from a rifle <laughs> on it. Uh, I remember that. That was good times. Second Simpsons reference this week on the show. So, anyway, th- this guy David Cleon. Back to what he's saying. He's saying that you know this is driving is bad. And here's what he writes. I can't stop you from driving, but I can expect you to feel bad that you have to make every effort not to and it can be avoided and support policies everywhere that will make it less necessary. And I am impatient for technology to make your car obsolete. A lot of people are saying this is unfair to rural Americans, and I agree. I am being unfair to the 19.3 percent of Americans who live in rural areas. If that's not you and it probably isn't, then I stand by my points. And probably autonomous vehicles will work in rural areas, too. Oh, man. This, is this guy lives in Brooklyn. This is one of the most Brooklyn Twitter threads I've ever seen in my life. This guy has somehow encapsulated the... And look, I'm from New York City, born and raised. But this guy encapsulates the specifically Brooklyn mentality of... They're like at a higher... They're existing in a higher plane... You know, their their ethics, their culture, their morality. And I don't mean all people live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's a huge Brooklyn. If it broke off from New York City, would be the third biggest standalone city in the country. Producer Mike lives in Brooklyn. So there are fantastic people who live in Brooklyn. But there is a subculture in Brooklyn. People used to call them hipsters. Now the hipsters say that's not a thing, which I think makes them even bigger hipsters. But who have, a like I said, a, a subculture of a hardline progressive elitism that is that's that openly sneers at the rest of the country mocks the rest of the country with the exception of you know LA San Francisco Boston places like that right but anything that doesn't fall into the big city urban category they think is just full of people sitting around playing banjos with their toes firing off shotguns in the air and going yeah which actually sounds like a lot of fun. I, I just, that little vignette I just constructed could be a, a fun place to hang out. But nonetheless, 
but the, what you're seeing here is also is something much more relevant to many of our discussions about this. And that is the statist mentality in action. Why do people who are on the left have a particular preference for high-speed rail? Because they want it to be central, central planning that gets people around. Why do they like central planning? Because they want experts to be making the decisions for all of us in our day-to-day lives. Why would they prefer that experts are making those decisions? Because they fancy themselves to either be in that expert class in one way or another, or at least to culturally identify with and be friends with and live around those experts. And you see this playing out on on issue after issue. Uh, But here with the notion that we should ban all cars and that, in fact, if you are not, and this is another important point, if you are not politically mobilized against the driving of vehicles, you are engaged or, or you are failing to be moral. You are engaged in a form of political cowardice. That's what this guy says. You can apply this same logic to a whole bunch of things when it comes to Democrats, by the way, when it comes to the left in this country. This is how they view a lot of stuff, not just the craziness of, yeah, let's ban I don't even know how many. I mean, I know the 300 million guns in the country. How many cars are there in the country? I have no idea. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be like a. What do we think? I, I can't even guess. It's got to be in the hundreds of millions. I just don't know where. Anyway, there's a lot. That much I know. Producer Mike will tell me the exact number probably in a second here. But uh, the good news is, I don't think this guy's political platform is going to get very far. What do we got, Mike? Uh, 268.8 million vehicles were registered. 260, so I said hundreds of million, 268, yeah, so there we go. Almost a car per person, that would have been my guess. You almost have a car per person. But, you know, it's the same reason why you see the liberals and the left will say that we need to take action to deal with overpopulation. Central planning has to deal with overpopulation, and if you're opposed to that, you're immoral because of all the terrible things that happen from human beings existing. Right now, this is just a similar argument to, well, look at all the terrible things that happen because people drive cars. This is the same approach that they take to guns, to any number of things, right? Look at the, uh, the negative effects of this. Ban it. Put the government in charge of it. No discussion. No discussion at all. Speaking of which, we're going to talk, talk about the environmentalist side of this in just a moment here. Paper or plastic. It is not just a question of whether or not you want to get to your home with your groceries still in the bag, although that's certainly a part of it. It's also a question that's supposed to indicate now What kind of a person are you? Are you a good person or a bad person? Because if you take plastic, they think you're bad. So bad, in fact, now that governments across the country, state governments, local governments, are just saying you are literally not allowed to sell plastic bags or give plastic bags to people anymore. We're going to dive into that, and then we will get into just a little bit of roll call, so stay right there. I have my frustrations that come up in day-to-day life. For example... I hate car alarms, and I feel like they should be outlawed. This is where my inner authoritarian comes out, by the way. There are some things where I don't even care, free market or whatever. No, no. There are municipal regulations for reasons. And I've already told you that I hate the backup noise that trucks make. I think it's crazy, especially when they're in in an area where there's, like, nobody out on the street or anything. Beep, beep. I hate the whole thing. Um, But another thing that bothers me are the tyrannical mandates of the so-called green lobby in this country the the uh, the recycling oh my gosh if we don't use different light bulbs we're all going to die people 
they're they're going they're insane. And every day that Miss Molly has me take out our trash, I have to separate the recycles and I have to take the trash because otherwise they'll give you a fine or at least they say they will. But this is one of those moments where just like with recycling, which is a case where I'll, I'll tell you, recycling may in fact be bad for the environment. Depends on how it's done. Very energy intensive. There's a lot that goes into it. But that's maybe a discussion for another time. Uh, the paper versus plastic controversy. You know, I was out in California on whatever it was, six, seven months ago, and I just remember thinking, this is so dumb. I can't get a plastic bag anywhere. And now this is coming possibly to New York in a statewide ban. Here's the New York Post yesterday. Governor Cuomo said he's considering backing a statewide ban on plastic bags to help curb unnecessary trash. A day after Mayor de Blasio proposed such a restriction for New York City. It's clear that we need to address the real environmental concerns caused by the proliferation of plastic bags, and a ban is one of the options we're reviewing. <sighs> this is where this is where people, there are the people that just want to feel like they're doing good things and they're good people. And then there are those like me who ask questions, read books, and like to know what's true and what's not. So here's the truth of the paper versus plastic thing. By the way, if it's New York State, a lot of you listening, you're like, oh, New York City, not my problem. If it's New York State, and it's going to affect a lot of places. It's going to affect Buffalo, going to affect Albany. Um, so, And it could follow up in other places as well. It's already in California, statewide in California. It just strikes me as completely and, and utterly bonkers. Um, but they're banning plastic bags because... They think that they never biodegrade or they take up whatever it is, a million years to biodegrade and and they are in landfills and they're gross. But now some people have said, well, hold on a second. If the option is a paper, a paper bag or a plastic bag. It's not clear that paper is actually better for the environment, because what is paper made out of folks? Trees. What do you have to do to make paper out of trees? You have to cut them down. You have to process it. So you're losing trees cutting them down. And by the way, you have to go through a very energy and even fossil fuel intensive process to get that energy to turn trees into paper bags. So on a net net basis, or you look at the totality of whether you're better off using plastic bags or paper bags, it looks like it's probably better to use plastic bags because, oh, there's a whole nother thing. These bags have to be shipped there's a whole logistics and supply train aspect to this. Oh, I know, right? This is what you can tell your annoying California cousin. When they're like, hey, man, you should get rid of like, plastic bags. And it's like, why do you want to destroy the environment and like strangle sea otters and stuff, man? You'd be like, well, uh, Trey, I'm just going to assume his name is Trey. I don't know why. Uh, if you did your research, you'd see that paper bags are a lot heavier than plastic bags require a lot more storage space than plastic bags. And therefore, when you're and you say, oh, say, how much does it really matter? Well, if you're Walmart or you're a massive grocery store chain it matters a whole heck of a lot. The difference in weight and uh, the differences that that means for travel of those goods, transporting of those goods that has a, a footprint, a carbon footprint, if you will. But here we go. We, we've already seen this now. They take actions in these states that are supposed to make things 
better for the environment, even if it's really just for show. So this is just what I'm trying to tell everybody here, that this environmentalist stuff, they're changing the rules all the time. They really just don't know. They don't want to do the homework. They, they, this is about virtue signaling via your choice of refuse. What kind of crap do you use in your day-to-day life? That means you're a good person or not. And, and in the, at the end of the day, it's all total nonsense. But I have a feeling this thing's going to go through in New York because it, this just becomes a, a, a cultural thing. Like, oh, man, we've got, we got paper Paper bags the only here, unlike those other states that voted for Trump, and like they plastic bags are them, and they're bad. Yeah, that's right. Those of you listening who are in states that aren't run by complete imbeciles like Cuomo and De Blasio, uh, you'll probably continue to have your plastic bags. But what I'm, what I really want to just focus in on here, last point or the the summation, is that whether it's recycling or paper versus plastic or whatever. It's just all spinning their wheels and unleashing their dictatorial impulses. That's what this is really about. Doesn't help the environment. Let's get in a roll call coming up. Well, that's going to be it today in the Freedom Hut. It is a a snowy, uh, windswept cityscape around me right now. I have to find a way to get home to Miss Molly. I might stop and get a little bit of, I was going to say warm tequila somewhere, but that actually sounds kind of gross. There are very few liquors that you can get away with warming up. People always say, have a, a hot toddy. Eh, it's okay. Not a lot of warm beverages. That Warm sake, as I found out from friends of mine, can be good, but usually they warm it up because it masks the taste if it's not a particularly high-grade sake. This is the opposite of a little trick that I can tell you all since we're going to be coming into the spring and the summer here, especially for wedding season. If you have some... Bad wine. And by bad, I mean, you know, you've got one of those magnums of uh, Sauvignon Blanc at a wedding or something that, you know, it's not exactly the fanciest stuff. So if you got that and you want to just jazz it up a little bit, an ice cube in your Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc, totally acceptable, I'm told by people who know what is acceptable and what is not. Um, So with that, it is time for, oh, yeah, that's right, roll call. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. <laughs> I like it. I like it. By the way, Brandon, at some point, you are going to just, we're just going to have DJ Brandon pick some music for our Roll Call, and, and we're going to see. We're going to have a contest to see between me, Mike, and Brandon who, get, who has the coolest Roll Call intro music um, at some point. I know you're a busy man. You got your own podcast you got to do and everything else. Let's get into uh, what you all have to say. Uh, first up here is uh, Katerina, who listens to my advice because she starts with, I really love your show. Thank you, Katerina. And now we're reading your note to me. I really love your show. I was introduced to it last December, and I've been listening to your podcast since then. I find it so refreshing to know there are others that think similarly to myself. Thank you for all the work you put into the show. I enjoy hearing and learning from it. I even purchased a Team Buck t-shirt and love it. Your fan, Katerina. Well, Katerina, I'm your fan now because that was a very, very nice message. Thank you. And, yeah, Team Buck gear is up on uh, BuckSexton.com. We're going to do, a, I think, a, a relaunch of some new stuff. And I got all kinds of plans. I just don't have enough time in the day to put it all into, uh, into, war, it, what's, into effect is the word I was looking for there. 
All right, next up here, but thank you, Katarina. Next up here, we have Colton, who writes, Hey, Buck, just recently started listening to your podcast. I heard you talking yesterday about Bumble. I had the app until I saw their new policy. I sent them a suggestion to don't tread on me and then deleted it. Colton, I hear you, man. I, I think it's it's weak sauce to say that you're going to ban people just because they have a firearm. What if somebody's a competitive shooter? Or, you know, what if somebody just likes going to the range and they're taking photos of themselves? doing? It's just an activity like playing, you know, basketball or going uh, in the rowboat in the park or something. That's something we do here. I know that's people are like, and, and really it's for tourists. But nonetheless, people do it. Uh, see, the, the rowboat thing you can do in the park and everything's fine. If you get on the horse-drawn carriage, you better hope that one of those animal activist pro-horse people doesn't see you because they're going to give you a piece of their mind. Uh, I never know. People say those horses are very unhappy. I, I can't tell the difference. I know when dogs are happy or unhappy. I don't know what a, I don't know what makes a happy horse, but now we're really going off the rails. Um, somebody else writes, please don't read on air, and so I will respect that and just skip to the next message. Next one here is Lauren. See, guys, you just... As it, remember this, this goes to our inbox here. You can always send it and say, hey, please don't read on air. Or this is just for you or just for your information. If you need email to send me a tip or if you want something that's even a little more, has a little more of the feeling of it's, you know, uh, private, uh, you can send officialteambuck at gmail.com. That just goes to me and producer Mike. So, um, and, and like I said, if you ever say don't read on air, I will respect that. But please don't send me a really nice long message that seems fine to read on air. And then at the bottom say, P.S., don't write don't read because I do this live on the show and you will trick me and then I will feel bad. I only use first names, though. But nonetheless, Lauren writes, hey, Buck, not sure how donut stores are on the not sure how donut stores are on the East Coast. But here in Orange County, most are owned by Vietnamese families and they always have the most amazing croissant or croissants. Because America, uh, because of the French influence in Vietnam, French influence in Vietnam's history. Just some random info. Wish there were gluten free croissants that you could eat, too. Well, thank you, Lauren. I have never had a good. I've never had a good gluten free. Uh, should I say croissant or does that sound like I wear a monocle and a top hat while I scream at the servants? Excuse me, sir. Bring me a croissant uh, or croissant. Sound like I'm American now. I've never had a good gluten-free croissant. There are some things that just don't do well sans gluten, and I think a, a croissant is unfortunately one of them. So we will have to see. And there is that fun story about how croissant actually commemorates uh, victory of the Christians over over the uh, Turkish caliphate. And that's where the whole notion of the croissant comes from. But that'll be for a history podcast another time. Thanks for the heads up, though, about Vietnamese uh, cuisine out in California. I'm sure it is excellent. Now, we have uh, hold on a second. I have to skip that one, too. Got to skip a few today. This is from TJ. Buck, in regards to the dorms for adults, my wife and I are millennials. Like most, we couldn't afford to buy the house we wanted. I'm with you, my friend. Me too. So instead of getting... I can't buy anything, by the way. Instead of getting an apartment, we opted to buy property where we could eventually build the house we want, and for the time being, we built a 
Schaus, which is a shop house. Never heard of this before. Much cheaper and quicker to build than a house, and the mortgage is cheaper than most apartments, especially cheaper than most in NYC. We are what you might call redneck millennials. See attached photo of our beautiful house. It beats an adult dorm any day. Uh, and also he sent some photos of his 450 Bushmaster on an AR-15 platform, uh, something you definitely can't do at your dorm for adults place. Good call, TJ. First of all, the house looks great. looks very uh, peaceful and private, and that's very, very nice. And I see in the photo, too, you're wearing a Shields High T-shirt, which uh, just makes me very happy. So thank you, sir. Thank you for your kind message. Uh, let's see what else we get here. Steven writes, hey, Buck, you should have Mike Rowe on sometime about alternatives to a four-year degree. He has been a big proponent of learning a trade instead of the undergraduate degree, Shields High. Steven, I'm totally uh, up for that. I just, you know, I don't know how we're going to get Mike to join. He's a very busy fellow, and we'll we'll see. You know, we'll see. Yeah, producer Mike is like, please, we'll make it happen. I know, but are we going to have to, like, you know, fly him somewhere in a helicopter and, you know, bring him uh Beluga caviar on a special kind of tray or no, none of that stuff. Cause he's very famous. I know he's a very nice guy, but he's very famous. So, okay. He's probably super cool. I'm gonna call it anytime. We'll reach out to him. Uh, Jen, she writes, thanks for mentioning my question. Totally made it to Columbus, Ohio, or to, you totally need to make it to Columbus, Ohio. All right. Well, Jen, thank you for thanking me for thanking you for your question. I think that worked. Uh, what else we have here? Amanda uh, writes, hold on a second. Buck, what was the book you mentioned about the narcos? Amanda, the book was El Narco by Yon Grillo, whom we've had on here and is a British journalist who's been living in Mexico City for the last couple of decades. I really liked the interviews we did with him. I thought it was uh, really fascinating stuff, and he's, uh, his book, uh, as, a, as a primer on the current situation, how he got to the current situation with the Mexican drug cartels, I think he did a really excellent job with uh, El Narco. So I would recommend you check that out. Also, those of you who may not have read it, Killing Pablo by Mark Bowden, highly, highly recommend. Very, very, very good book. And if you're going to then watch the show Narcos, you'll have some good backstory for it. Uh, Alan writes, pretty good show. You just came on WGY. I like it. Well, Alan, thank you. Pretty good message. I'll take it. Love having some new folks joining the Freedom Hut. Alan is a listener on WGY up in Albany, New York. One of our uh, fantastic new affiliates. We are now on WGY 6 to 9 Eastern, or sorry, 9 to midnight Eastern, Monday through Friday. I am very excited about it. So, what do we have here next? Um, we have time for one more? Yeah, we got time for one more. All right. Brian writes, Buck, post a five-minute cut of tonight's segment on Louis Farrakhan. This is from yesterday. Entitled it, Louis Farrakhan, Why is this anti-Semite still praised by progressives? Makes you wonder. Well, Brian, it's a good idea, and maybe we'll get a chance to do that and throw it up on the website. Well, that's going to be it for me today in the hut, uh, my friends. I am hoping I'm going to make it down to Savannah tomorrow, weather cooperating. Should be at the Nine Line Apparel store on Friday, just outside of uh, Savannah, Georgia. So it's 
about 10 minutes from downtown, 15 minutes from downtown, I think. So uh, I'll be there around noon on Friday. Uh, looking forward to seeing any of you who can make the trek. I'm trying to convince Miss Molly to come along as well. So that means like any photos or selfies we take are going to be way better. So you should come hang out. And I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Shields high.